Father, we have heard the Macedonian call today as from the beginning. And our grateful offerings of our lives, of our words, of our talents at the cross we lay. May the grace of Jesus unto us all abound. And a Christ-like spirit everywhere be found. While we gather the jewels for our crown, grant us the grace to send the light of the gospel through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to thank God. Last Sunday, we were in the mood of praise and thanks. Virtually the same series of prayer thanksgiving that we offer today, we offered on Sunday. It is right, meet, and proper, as the liturgy will say, to give him thanks and praise. For who had believed that we would survive to the second half of the year, apart from the Lord being our helper? Blessed be his name in the name of Jesus Christ. You look around the things that have happened around you as a person, as a family, around us as a church and as a chapel, and you will see God has done great and mighty things, and he alone deserves the praise. But as he has done this, we will not relent in the task he has granted us for the year, and every opportunity is one with which to say, God, we are in the business which you have sent us. God asked us this year to make disciples of all nations for him, and every minute, every opportunity, he will find us engaged in it. If you already look at the program copy for the first Sunday in July, it starts with a question. Why do we not evangelize? Starting with a question. So, before that question comes as a starting point, there has to be a statement. If that question is saying, why do we not evangelize? Then it's proper to remind us why evangelizing is a supreme task of the church. And that's what we'll just dwell on for the next few minutes. Why evangelizing? I didn't say evangelism. Evangelism can be a topic, I'm sure you know. Evangelism can be a study. Somebody can say, I have PhD in evangelism. Evangelism of the Hebrews. Evangelism of the Hindus. Evangelism of the Buddhists. He's always studying. But no, we're talking of an activity evangelizing. Act where the work is done. So why is evangelism the supreme task of the church? Why does it remain what God has upon? Why is it the number one criterion of the things we do? Why is it the thing that should occupy you centrally? Wherever you are, student, worker, contractor, businessman, lecturer, retiree, appointee. Why? Should it always be? Why should it even be a lifestyle? Why is it the supreme task of the church? Acts chapter 8 verse 4, we are told, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. They that were scattered everywhere went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word. They weren't gossiping. They weren't complaining. They weren't talking of the biting economic times. They weren't saying, have you heard? America has legalized same-sex marriage. Today, Mozambique has also joined. And usually like a bandwagon, they will follow one after the other. And the wind will blow across. 
as they went everywhere, battle of survival, as they went everywhere, daily routine, as they went everywhere, daily action, deliberately, they went preaching the word. It's from that preaching the word that evangelizing came from. So for those of us who don't usually like some of those root words, you angelize that's the Greek word that came from Acts 8 for preaching the word. As they went, they were known with one thing. People identified them just with one activity. And you know that this was talking about the first century church. So a church like us, as each person was running for their dear life, as each aunt, child, their father was running for his life, he didn't know where they would end up for the day. One thing was paramount in their program. They went all the places they were scattered doing one thing. What was it? Preaching the word. Evangelizing. So it's an activity. Proclaiming the gospel. Preaching the word. Preaching the good news. That's what they went doing. And that word came from the idea many of us have done in history. Many of us did history. Much of civilization. And you must have heard about Philippides, who ran from Athens and ran a long distance to announce victory. And you are, of course, familiar with Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, the priest. The moment that Absalom was killed, Cushai was told to run, go bring the news, tell the king that his enemies had been put at bay, victory had been won, territory recovered, land is safe, you can come back. That's the idea. Usually a herald. An evangel running. Are they a fast runner? Or a sheep? They may use a sheep. Or by horse. Whichever swift means to go and announce victory. To go and announce deliverance. To go and announce good news. Those who have been harassing us. And those who had made things difficult for us. They have been put under. That's where the word came from. A herald to go and proclaim good news of victory. Good news of deliverance to a city and usually a group of people that would be anxiously waiting. They won't go about any other duty waiting, open to that good news. And in Second Samuel 18, you found how he changed the morale of David and the rest of the people who are with him. That's evangelizing, that's proclaiming, that's preaching the word, the good news. Why is it and should be and continue the supreme task of the church? Why should you not be repenting the church three times a year? Why should you not be re-roofing it four times in two years? Why should you not be buying the latest basic equipment? Why should you not be making air condition flow from every rafter of the church, including the toilet? Why should you not be one big booming celebration? Why? Why is evangelism the supreme task of the church? I'm sure you remember in an assignment we did some time ago, the purpose-driven church. It was clear that there are many activities that are embarked on in a church. Up to 30, 40, housewarming, baptism, wedding, boys' brigade. Which one here? Choir, youth fellowship, teen church, prayer meeting. Which other one? Bible study. There are many more activities that an average church today I backs upon. Which one remains? 
women's meeting, mother's union, girls' union, girls' gates. Every one of them, they are bound are plenty. There are so many. And then that analysis says that the church is warmer through fellowship. As you engage in fellowship, coming Monday, women we meet, young people we meet, you are warmer. You get more into a family relationship. The church is deeper through discipleship. We just finished a full-up Bible study here. Deeper. You know more of why you're a Christian and how to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason for the hope that you hold and earnestly contend for the faith. The church is stronger through worship. Thank God we have a lively worship session here. I've met two people. I didn't stay to the end of last Sunday service. But I met one yesterday. He was driving. He stood by the way. He parked. And I thought he was chatting. I moved over and waved. And he followed me. and made sure he caught my attention. He said he wasn't worshipping here. I know where he worships. St. Cyprian's Cathedral. But on Sunday, he woke up and said, God, where am I going to worship today? And God told him, come here and worship. And he said, I thank God I came. The things God has been doing in my life since then, they have not yet finished. I will come again. It's not about coming here. Thank God for the worship session. We thank God. So, the church grows stronger as you invoke the presence of God in worship. That's something to dwell upon. We can declare every Sunday a praise day and then just keep worshiping. But that's not the main task of the church. That's not the supreme activity of the church. And the church is broader, is enlarged, is made richer through ministry, activity, unis. Everybody is functioning in their own role. Those in teaching, those in Bible study, those in follow-up, those who bring Sunday school, those who also do with follow-up, everybody is functioning in the area. But the church is larger through evangelism. And of all these activities, can you look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10? If you find before me, please read for us. Revelation 7, 9 to 10. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which seated upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Praise the Lord. What do you see here? What scenario? Worship, you are right. What scenario? Fellowship, you are right. What scenario? Perhaps you can also say, discipleship, you are right. Have been gathered from all nations, tribes, nations, tongues, languages, and in an attitude of worship. Already redeemed. Friends, of all these activities from A to Z the church engages in, most of them will still likely be repeated in heaven. Evangelizing will not be. That's the only activity that ends here. Because when in heaven, there's no more need to evangelize. So, these activities can still be continued. Worship will be our only obsession in heaven. If we read verse 11, it will say that the angels stood round about, the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne in their faces, and did what? Worship God continually. 
Evangelism is the only task that ends right here. It doesn't get up to heaven. And every work that must be done in that area must be done here and now. And note again, in that same passage, he says, A great multitude which no man could number of all nations, all kindreds, all people, all tongues, Put it in another way. All languages. All linguistic groups. In other words, if we are here now, and one of us is a thief, another is from a Doma, another is from a Gala, another is from maybe Jukun, we already four or five nations here. Are we understanding? In other words, there will be a representative of every people group in heaven. That's why the scripture says that no one will be with any excuse. So every one of our kindred will have a representative. And as Matthew 24, 14 says, this gospel will go as a witness to all nations. So that nobody will say he didn't hear before the end comes. And so whose task, whose assignment? Is it to make sure that there are representatives of every tribe, tongue, nation, people, groups? Is it angels? Not at all. You will see if we get there that angels have no assignment to evangelize. Angels can only announce. Angels can only get you to go where there is an assignment. They got Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. They got Peter to Cornelius. But that's where they end. The actual work of telling the story of what Jesus has done will be upon the church to so do. And what is evangelism? Sunday we'll talk more about that. But let's just say that evangelism is preaching the good news of repentance from sins and turning towards God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, with an intention that they may be converted. You are not just preaching for preaching's sake. You are not preaching because you will fulfill one of the agenda in your program. You are asking the Holy Spirit to lead you. And the best definition of it we find in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4, that Jesus died that Jesus was buried and that Jesus rose again for our sins. Simple. That's the evangelism. Good news that you don't bear your sins alone. Good news that you cannot by your own self save yourself. Good news that you do not need to remain where you are. Good news that somebody has paid the price. And all you simply need to do is by faith to receive his finished work. So 1 Corinthians 15, look at what Paul says there. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached unto you. The gospel which I preached unto you. Which also you have received. And wherein you stand. By this gospel I preached unto you, you are saved. If you keep in memory what I have proclaimed unto you, unless you have believed in vain, and what was the gospel? Verse 3. I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. 
That's evangelizing. That's the good news. Anything short of this is story, story. And will you surprise you when you go to the Acts, you find that whether it was at the beautiful gate, whether it was at the Sanhedrin, whether it was any other gathering, that they apprehended the disciples. All they would simply do was to link the story of the man healed at the beautiful gate, of why you are persecuting us now, of why we are preaching to that man whom God sent, who is the Messiah, whom you have crucified because of the hardness of your heart. And by his being risen, he shedding forth what you see. They simply presented the gospel in every manner. And each point, as Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, would draw all men unto me. He spoke it literally. That he was going to be raised on the cross and prove that he would draw many to salvation. But it is also true that at each point, once you lift up Jesus, his finished work for sins, for mankind, for the big man, for the government appointee, for the laborer. Once you lift up what Jesus did on their behalf, you've presented a challenge and an answer. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it will invoke a change in their lives in the name of Jesus. So it's not story, it's not church, it's not denomination, it's not necessarily inviting people to come to our church, no. By the grace of God, we ask God for a thousand worshippers in this church before the end of the year. As at the end of last Sunday, God has given us 706 and counting, and we shall get on the more in the name of Jesus. But it's not about filling the membership of the church. It's part of it. Because as people are being saved, then they will be added to the church. They will be discipled. But it is about putting the main message. And anyone and everyone can do it. Rightfully so. Once you have received that touch of salvation. So, evangelism, the supreme task of the church, because that's the only activity that will never be repeated in heaven. You won't have a chance to remedy right now. If there's no soul in your account throughout this year, no soul in your account since you gave your life to Christ, no soul in your account ever since you left school, no soul in your account ever since you left youth service, no soul in your account. You've just been an orphan. You made yourself an orphan. There won't be any time to remedy that in heaven. This is the time to get on it. And how do I know? Heaven takes note each time there is a soul added in its account. The Bible says in Luke 57 that the heavens do what? Rejoice. If there is no other activity that makes heaven happy and rejoice, except winning so, why won't I be an expert in making heaven rejoice? Why will I spend time in the things that heaven will only take note of, blink eye, so to say, and move on as if nothing had happened? You remember the encounter in Mark chapter 1 when Peter made himself a temple, say Jesus, 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 can I guess so? The crowd came after Jesus. And Peter said, don't worry, I know what to do. We have been trekking from one city to another, village to another. The sun has beaten us. Our shoes are trying to wear out. Our joints are almost out of place. And here is a city that has accepted us. Jesus said, leave it to me. Peter said that. And he came to him, Master, all men seek for you. What was not said there, I believe, Peter also added, was, Master, why are we troubling ourselves? Why do we go from city to village? Why do we continue? 
Why don't we stay here where they have accepted us? Build our cathedral here. Build our headquarters here. Share duties. You know this John and James who have been trying all the time to share who will be by a writer. Give them positions. And the city has given us land. We can stay there. The Bible says in Mark 1.38 as if that was a distraction. As if that was an activity that was not in the agenda. The moment Peter finished, no answer to that discussion. What did Jesus say? Let us go into the next villages too and preach the gospel for that is why I came. That's the reason why that is the main assignment of you and I. Every other thing is an addendum, my dear. That will come to church and receive one fellowship. Is an, is, how do you call it? A fringe benefit of being saved. That's not the end. You just receive that, the warmth of fellowship, the broadness and the brotherliness. You go out and bring and make heaven happy again. Because you have the power. The authority has been given. And the Bible said immediately Jesus finished that, Mark 1.39. And they went into the next villages surrounding and preached the gospel. So he not only meant it, he did it out. He followed it up. So friend, this is the time. Today is when we have the opportunity. Now we have the essence. Let's go on it. And as you go, because maybe the prompting is there, I do pray God that after a while you go because it's a lifestyle in the name of Jesus. It becomes a habit. It becomes ingrained into whatever you do. Last two Mondays, I was told I had a lecture, introductory medical lecture for the new clinical medical students. And uh, that was a sudden program. It wasn't in my agenda for that Monday. And I said, no problem. New clinical students. Introduction to medicine. Fine. Introduction to clinical medicine. And I went and took up the time. In short, before I got there, called me earlier than I should come. Even the organizers in the dean's office made a mistake. They called me an hour earlier than I should come. They said they didn't look at their timetable. I just smiled. I said, all things work together for good. It means I have more time. I don't have time to share with anyone. And we came. Introduction to clinical medicine. What is medicine? An art and a science. And we're introducing them. Every opportunity, a lifestyle, every platform, it becomes a lifestyle. It's not something that you wait for any particular occasion. And as we progressed alongside, and I say, well, you can't give what you don't have. In any case, medicine is the only thing in which you deal with another raw material that is yourself. That has three parts. A spirit, soul, and body. You can touch the body in a way. You may try to do something for the mind or soul. The spirit, you can't give what you don't have. And friends, for the rest part of the introduction, it was the gospel message. And by the time we finished, I said, bow down your heads. In a class of 99, more than one third of them admitted Jesus into their lives. And I finished and said, that's part of the introduction to clinical medicine. Because you need it. And it will make you bolder. It's part of you. It's not an addendum. It's something that as a medical student, you have an opportunity. As any other student, occasion to present. Haven't you heard and seen those who read valedictory lecture in the university as the best graduating student? You know those who are clearly born again already. 
that told to present a valedictory speech. And those who have known is a lifestyle, is an opportunity to tell people this is not for dropout. This is for people who are asking for a solution, who are trying to have a vacuum. And everyone needs that. Professor, never mind the glasses that fall off from the ears. Gray hair, never mind them. Businessmen, never mind them. I met one today who is a notable actor. If I mention his name, it's a household name. He usually comes to consult, but he has the, the pleasure, at least the courtesy to tell his coming. Will it be convenient for you? And uh, he's an actor who wears very heavy hair. I will stop there, but he's popular. And then when he came, I said, look, this leg swelling you are having, do you move around at all? He said, uh, no, I don't. You are right about it. I said, why? He said, look, everywhere I go, people are following me. I said, what are they following for? Are they extorting demands from you or because of your celebrity status? He said, people want to take pictures with you. People want to greet you. I said, how has that become a bad thing now? He didn't know how to make use of that. But to him, it's become a drudgery. So he says, most times, I stay indoors. Then I say, because he's a Roman Catholic, what about mass? So you don't go to mass anymore. He said, I do. I said, do you go to the early morning one? He thought I was going to leave that topic so easily. He said, no, I go in the evenings when there may be fewer people around. But we went on with that discussion. What are we trying to say? Every opportunity you have now that you have the life and the bread and you know, except if Jesus hasn't made a change in you, is an opportunity to tell the reason for the hope that you have. Perchance. And many of the times, the people watching you are asking what is making you different. And you fall shy of just bringing him up. And then you go. And a number of times, you have a guilt already in you. So, what does it take that you are presenting a lecture? And when you finish, you are saying, look, you can only get this thing better by Jesus coming into your life. You have set somebody thinking. The next day, they may ask you a question. You are doing a contract bidding. And he said, look, my friend, if it was when I was still the other way around and Jesus hasn't touched me, I wouldn't wink you. I know what to do here. It becomes a part of the story. It doesn't become something to be just apologized about. That's the only thing with the church does that makes heaven rejoice. Who will not partake of it? And that's why I'm asking you again, is there any soul to your account so far over the period of time this year? How can you imagine yourself gone through the first half of the year still empty? Souls are the only currency that heaven wants to gain. Souls, nothing more. I hope you agree with me. Heaven doesn't gain dollar, does it? It doesn't gain euro, does it? Last Sunday when I got the text message of the accounts, the money that came in, there was one dollar there. Somebody would say, thank God there was dollar. But heaven, it doesn't make any difference. Whether euro or African dollar, it doesn't make a difference. The only currency that heaven is looking to gain anytime is what? Souls. Just bring the souls. And that will amount unto us. And that was why Jesus shed his life and shed his blood for one soul. That story in Luke 15 was telling you that for even one soul, Jesus was ready to do what? Shed his blood. Luke 15 told us first the story of the shepherd with 100 sheep. One got missing and he left 99 righteous to look for 
one missing sheep. And when he found it, he rejoiced and announced it abroad. That same Luke 15 told us the story of the woman who had ten coins. And out of the ten coins, nine were saved. One was missing. And because that woman was bothered about that one missing coin, she had no rest until she searched it out. What followed when she discovered it? Rejoicing. And then Jesus ended that story with now a living human being. I said, imagine a rich man who has all he needed to be comfortable with. He had an obedient son, so to say, even though at the end, when you analyze it, that son who seemed to be obedient may be more troublesome than the one who outrightly was a prodigal one. Because he was there in body, but his spirit and soul were somewhere else. But otherwise, one went, lavished all he had, prodigal. But the moment he was coming back, before he could formulate what to say, the father had outstretched arms, waiting and running to him. The initiative came from who? The father. And said, this my son was lost. Now he's found. Dead, now he's alive. Put on a new garment on him. Put a royal status on him. And he said, even for one soul, Jesus was willing to shed his blood. And how much blood do you really need to shed? Without the shedding of blood, there will be no remission of sins. Is that not what the scripture said? So how much blood do you need to shed? A drop of blood is enough. But how much did Jesus shed? All. All. On his hands were nail points. On his legs were also were nail points. Bleeding points. On the head was what? A crown of thorns. What were the thorns doing there? Bringing up bleeding. And as if that was not enough, they gave him a sword. By the side, where water and blooded what? Poured out. He shed all for one soul. So that one soul that has not yet come in is important enough to heaven. And who will bring the person in? You and I. That is why evangelism is the supreme task of the church. That's why it is an engagement we all get involved in. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Please, if you find it, read it for us. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. For though we live in the, in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Praise the Lord. What is this place talking of? Warfare. Is that not so? A struggle. Is that not so? The weapon of our warfare. To make them obedient to Christ. To take them captive. To subject every knowledge unto Christ. And then, in Matthew 16, Jesus will say in verses 17 and 18 to Peter, Flesh and blood has not made this revelation to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then, upon this revelation, upon this rock, will I build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So what was Jesus meaning with this passage in Second Corinthians chapter 10? The church ought to be a missionary church. 
The church ought to be reaching out. The church ought to be pushing back the gates of Hades that is enveloping many and blinding the eyes of many in the world. The Bible says their hearts have been darkened by the prince of the power of the air. And that's why no matter the level of anybody's learning, education, enlightenment, once he's not born again, things that are spiritual don't make meaning to him or her. But the moment the person has the light of Christ, according to John 1, 4 to 5, penetrating in, he said, light shines in darkness, and the darkness can no longer do what? Overpowered. The light has come. They begin to understand in a new way. So, evangelism is a missionary activity. Jesus had intended that the church should push back the gates of Hades, not to prevail. And it's only in evangelism that you were a warfare. A warfare of the highest order, a warfare to the lowest pit. It's only in evangelizing that you go to the enemy's camp to set free his prisoner. Let's keep worshiping now. Let's worship from now till coming Sunday. Let's just worship the Lord and tell him how good he is. Let the glory of the Lord cover this temple. We will all be enjoying a glorious time in the presence of the Lord. But for as long as it results in no soul being added to the kingdom, no problem to the devil. You can keep worshipping. In short, lock yourself in and keep worshipping. Just remain there. Don't do anything a threat. Let's begin Bible study now. Even though many of us don't like Bible study. And let's keep talking about the authority of the believer. The powers inherent in a believer. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The power that will be unleashed. And we'll talk only about us and ourselves. And nothing more. The devil is not threatened. Nobody is lost. No harm is done to his camp. So keep doing Bible study. Let's even come for prayer and do a night vigil. And pray and remind God about our Jerusalem. And tell him this church needs more of reviving. Fire, fire. God, everyone here make us hot. And let's never pray about souls. And let's never do anything concerning those who are in the devil's captivity. No problem. It's only in evangelism you actively go to snatch a prisoner belonging to the devil out from where he is to the other camp. And he doesn't give up without a fight. But who will do it? That's why Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail. And then this weapon of warfare is mighty to bring down every other captivity. So friend, what activities keep you busy? Even in the Christian fold. What are the things that make you from morning till night no time? And you have left the one that matters most. But look at it before we end up. Some people have wondered, okay, why doesn't somebody just tell everybody who needs to be saved? Why doesn't an angel do it? What do angels do? First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. Please read for us. First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. What do angels do? First Peter chapter 1 verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. Thank you. Acts chapter 10 verse 3. Acts of Apostles, chapter 10, verse 3. 
chapter 10, verse 3. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. Go on. Verse 4. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, Was it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy arms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. Thank you. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 26, the angel told Philip and said there, Arise, go toward the south, to the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. When Philip went, who did he meet? The Ethiopian Enoch. What else happened? Acts 8.35 From that passage, Philip preached to him, Jesus. And the Ethiopian Enoch says, Is anything more stopping me from being baptized, seeing I now believe? So, what do angels do? Angels can prod you. Angels can also prod the person who is ready for salvation. But angels do not have the ministry of preaching. Are we clear? When Cornelius with all the CV, we read verses 3, 4 upward. We didn't read verses 1 and 2. He had a wonderful CV that few Christians, even born again, will have. What were his CV? Cornelius a certain man of Caesarea, centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God, not alone, with all his house, he gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. How many people can match that CV? When God saw his heart and lifestyle, an angel was sent to him to say, Cornelius, go Send for Peter, who will tell you what you need to do. What did Peter do? The moment he came and said, look, I thought that God was a respecter of persons. Because I thought he favored Jews more than Gentiles. Now, with what he has done with this Gentile, I now know that in every nation, all that fear God and do righteously are accepted unto him. And with the moment he went into salvation through Jesus, that's why many people wonder, uh, now you are saying that you have to be born again before the Holy Ghost baptizes you. Peter reached the point of salvation. And the Holy Spirit knew this heart had already turned over. They were filled with the Holy Spirit without any other ceremony. Friends, angels do not preach. They won't preach tomorrow. They won't preach in the next generation if it ever exists. The only people who are empowered to preach for another person, no matter how far gone or how righteous to repent, is who? You and I. Man. And that phrase that says that men are always looking for better methods. I would have preached. The microphone was faulty. I would have preached. My shoes started giving trouble. I would have preached. At that moment, I looked at my hair. It was jagara jagara. So I said, let me go and first tie up her tie. I would have preached. And then I found out that the people, the condition was not conducive. And you speak one grammar. No. You don't need methods. Ian Bounds said, men are always looking for better methods. God is only looking for better men. Equipped with the Holy Spirit. Make yourself available. 
and be the one who will speak to the next person and who the that is truly plenty and ripe will usually yield over. How will they hear if nobody does what? Speaks. How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? So friends, evangelism is the number one task of the church and by correlation you and I, what are you and I doing up to the moment? So let's put on the gear and tell God, let heaven have more occasions for rejoicing on our account in the name of Jesus. And do you think that when heaven rejoices on account of the souls coming, heaven will neglect the person who is bringing the account to heaven? No. I think heaven has a system. And no wonder Jesus told us in the Great Commission, all in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go! Every one of us claims that promise. But if you look at that passage clearly again, because for every promise as a condition, that passage is in the context of what? Go. As you go in the context of every opportunity, low, high, very little, of making disciples, I am with you always. So no fear. No fear. No fear. Nothing happens to you Life is evangelically productive for heaven. Nothing, my dear. Did you hear me? Fear goes. Fear goes. What is the greatest thing we can fear? Death. Death goes. Once you are involved in the work of the master. Nothing else happens until you are eventually brought back to the field of the kingdom. I had an experience some time ago. I had gone on a weekend crusade. And everyone, as I was trying to leave and come back to Enugu, three different people, as we just went to greet them, we are praying, spare his life, spare his life. And I started wondering, why are all these prayers? I entered the vehicle, and the vehicle right there, my heart and my mind, I think in meditation, why do people die before their time? It was a discussion, I believe, going on. At the end, what I heard resolving me was, I'm not dying until I finish the work God has for me. It wasn't up to 15 minutes after that discussion and an accident occurred in that car. And it was in the direction in which I was seated. And there was no doubt I was the target. I came out clear and sound. and said, fine, this work must go on until the end. Nothing has the power to take your life if it's productive for heaven until an assignment is done. So when you are traveling, when you are going there, when you are saying, what would they say? How would they regard me? That one is immaterial. I am with you always. That's when that promise is effective. All power has been given unto me. Whatever you need at that material hour, he will provide. You may not have everything, but you won't also have want that will make you be a reproach to heaven in Jesus' name. So drop all the guards. Drop all the excuses and get on to the work that made Jesus came. God so loved the world that the only way of showing his love was to do what? Give Jesus for salvation. So what can we not give to get onto this work? Finally, why is evangelism the supreme task of the church? Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We're in the end times. I hope you know now. Children, we're in the end times. Do you know that? Young people, we're in the end times. If you haven't known, better wake up. Events happening when you are hearing same-sex marriage, when you are hearing Obamacare, when you are hearing chips, 
that are engraved on the forehead and on the wrist before you can access Obamacare. When you are hearing now, what is happening now? BVN, is that not so? And the CBN says a time will reach when you don't need your paper, your checkbooks. All you simply need is what? Your data. And they will assess everything about you. So when you are hearing them and reading the scripture, the end has already come. The wars and rumors of war. The earthquakes. The pestilences. Yesterday again, they said another case of Ebola has resurfaced at Liberia after seven weeks. The pestilences will keep coming. They will change name. They may change variety. But they will keep coming. Because these are prophecies, as it were. So when these end times are here with us, with all that are happening, and with all the change of values, relative Christianity, modernism, you will hear more things. Not just that they've legalized same-sex marriage. More will come. So these are times in which when the devil is making a foray, what should those who believe in God also be doing? Make a foray into the camp of the enemy. But the warning here is Matthew 24. Look at some of the things about the end times, see there. Let's look at verse 3. For time's sake, I will just read some of the places there. Matthew 24, verse 3. He sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the signs of your coming and of the end of the world? Then Jesus began to answer. Look at verse 6. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Verse 8. After he has talked about pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places and famines, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Beginning, not the end. Verse 33 of Matthew 24. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. So all these are the signs of the end times, right? Are we agreed? Signs, multiple, of the end times. They look at Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. There is only one event that heralds the end. There are many signs of the end times. There is only one sign before the end comes. And what is it? The gospel. So, what are you doing about it? Why are you not getting ready? Why is there no soul in your account? I pray God that into this second half of the year and the rest of your life, let every activity be valued according to how much it brings souls to heaven. That way your time will be well spent. That way your value will be relevant to the world and to heaven. That way you can see God do more things in your life rather than in praying and crying over them. As you go out, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, he will add these things. The ones you don't need, you won't get them in the name of Jesus. The ones you need, get out and make heaven happy and rejoice and let heaven take care of your own need. You will see that and give glory to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Shall we bow our heads to pray? Father, I will evangelize. I will win souls. I will make a lifestyle of winning souls for you. Can you pray that prayer? 
Have you thought it's only the priests? Maybe those who have the gift of evangelism. Or maybe those who have the gifts. Any other. Every day and every opportunity. Lord, I want to be part of those who bring the end to come. Can you pray to God? Can you ask him, Lord, I want to have the joy and the beauty of making heaven rejoice on account of his soul. Lord, I want to have my daily program focused and guided by the Spirit, targeting souls. Lord, I want to grow out of the timidity of postponing and finding excuses while those beside me are hopeless and looking for solution. Father, fill me. Fill me again with the burden and with the unction. Get me going, Lord, in this one task that matters to heaven. The only thing that makes heaven rejoice, I want to be found in that activity. As you pray that prayer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who has brought salvation to you, also burden your heart unto seeing opportunities for populating heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that God, every one of us here, will see the end taken by. See our families, see our kindred, see areas where not one person is representative enough. And because you said everyone, kindred, tribe, linguistic group, will be represented in heaven. You have found us as men, women, young people. Use us, O God, in greater measure to bring in the souls in the name of Jesus Christ. Almighty God, as you go, may your presence go with us. May your quickening go with us. May your power truly be experienced as we go in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as the disciples went everywhere preaching the word, and they confirmed your word, following with signs. May we experience them in this second half of the year, in our everyday existence, in our activity, and give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Lord, let that fire never quench until souls have begun to arrive. That heaven will say, for this reason I came, for this reason I found you. Now you are beginning to bring in the harvest. May that be our joy and your grace upon our lives the more. In Jesus' name we pray.